Scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 9. It's on page 993 of your Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. This is the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is the second in a series entitled, After Easter, Give... It's filled in the blank. Last week was after Easter, give praise, and we based it on that fabulous passage, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. This morning, it's after Easter, give back. Now, now first of all, I want us to note, again, follow our first love. That's our theme for the year, really based on uh, Paul, excuse me, John's word to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, where he says, Ephesus, y'all are doing all this great stuff, but you've lost your first love. And that's really what we're trying to do this year is to follow Christ as our first love. And I mention that because the key verse in all of 1 Corinthians 16, where we are, and I'm really just going to zero in this morning on the first three verses, but the key verse, the linchpin verse, really is verse 14, where it says very simply, do everything in love. Do everything in love. And one way that we really follow our first love, obviously, is by giving. We want to become self-feeding disciples. And a way to do that, actually, is by giving. As we sang just a moment ago, as we breathe in God's grace, we breathe out praise. And part of the way that we offer praise, indeed, is to give. Now, why talk about this so soon after Easter, a stewardship sermon? Because that's exactly what Paul does. Keep in mind, when he wrote the original manuscript, which was the letter, this letter to the Corinthian church, it didn't have the chapter breaks. It didn't have the verse breaks. That went until the 1500s with the Geneva Bible. Up until then, you never had chapters and verses dividing up the Word of God, and I think that's a great resource. But again, keep in mind, it just kept flowing as Paul wrote it. And it's so interesting because all of what chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is about is what? The resurrection of Jesus. It defends that. It makes a case for it. And then it celebrates and describes the resurrection. And there's that wonderful phrase again that I read at the, at the uh, Discipline of Silence where he says, Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's how he summarizes everything about the resurrection. And then he goes on. Really with no break. And what does he do? He segues right into a passage about what? Taking up an offering. That's what he does. Does that seem a little strange? No, it really does not, or it shouldn't, because Paul's basically saying your monetary giving is not in vain either, because Christ is risen. It will be put to good use, and it will keep his kingdom 
ushering in as we become agents of that kingdom. It's because of his resurrection that we're motivated to help others come to know him by what we give. Now, to set this up, Paul is answering a question that the Corinthians had written to him. If you read all of 1 Corinthians, it's all about different questions that this church has for Paul, and he's answering them. What do we do with meat that's sacrificed to idols? Is it okay for us to buy that and eat it, or are we causing a brother or sister to stumble? That's earlier on in chapters 8 through 10. Chapters 12 through 14, they deal with the issue of speaking in tongues. Paul, what do we do about that? The final issue he deals with is this. It's about this offering. And clearly they are asking Paul, hey, we've heard about the poverty-stricken church in the city of Jerusalem, which really was historically one of the poorer churches. And they're, they're saying, what can we do to help? How do we go about giving them an offering like we hear other churches are doing? And that's what he's doing. Is he, he's responding to this. And Paul begins by declaring that giving is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. If you look at verse 1, it says, Now about the collection for God's people that you all asked about. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Now, Paul had passed through the church at Galatia on his way to Ephesus where he stayed for a couple of years. Obviously, he had talked to the church at Galatia. Here are the instructions about how to carry this out. So now he's saying, do it exactly as I told the Galatian church, and here's what I told them. Okay, so that's what's going on. And look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Let me stop right there, by the way. On the first day of every week... Why then? Well, the first day of each week was what? It was Sunday. It was the day of worship. It was the day when we celebrate Christ conquering death. And because he conquers death, we do as well. It's a celebration of the resurrection. It's also a validation of the resurrection. Therefore, it it should also be a day of the validation of our faith in him and our willingness to risk and be stewards of the good news by helping to give to others. That's really what it's about. And giving was an important part of worship throughout the Old Testament. The first record of of offering something to God was the story of Cain and Abel, actually. And all through the rest of the Old Testament, you have all this recording about offerings and how to give an offering and when to give an offering. It goes on and on. In the New Testament, Jesus told the Pharisees that they were doing the right thing by offering a tithe. But actually, he goes on to say that those who follow me, those who follow Jesus, should have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. So we really do need to give and give sacrificially. And giving is a way to worship. Paul tells them by setting aside a special offering each week that part of that would go toward the church at Jerusalem. Now we do the same thing as we take up offerings on Sunday. A lot of it goes to people in need. And and Paul instructs you and I to have this systematic plan, a proportionate plan. It's very simple really. It should be done regularly And proportionately, let me read again verse 2. On the first day of every week when we celebrate the resurrection, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, giving what you can, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Well, we do that here. And we offer different ways to do it. We have online giving now. You can go to uh, Brookwood Baptist Church and click giving and then click online giving. You can set it up where it's taken right out of your checking account. I know this sounds like a commercial. I'm just, just giving examples here. Secondly, you can just do it through online banking and just address it to Brookwood. Do it that way. It's easy. You don't have to worry about forgetting to do it. Or you can do it the, the way the Barnett household still does it. And we write a check and put it in a little offertory envelope. It doesn't have a little checklist anymore, does it? Like Bible, broad, scripture passage, memory. Does it still have that? 
Somebody speak to that? I don't think it does, but y'all remember that? Uh, but we still put it in the offering envelope and put it in uh, the plate or put it in uh, at Sunday school time. And uh, that's the way we do it. But there are many ways to do it. But the key is for us to do it with a regularity to show that it's a priority. And it should be a priority for all of us. And, and again, it's a weekly act of worship just as prayer is and when we gather together. And reading of scripture and singing of songs and hearing from God's word. And please keep in mind, it says each of you. Uh, should be doing this. Uh, the, the, the word in, in Greek can also be translated every one of you. Sometimes it's translated that way in the New Testament. In other words, no exceptions. It's a word that's inclusive, exhaustive, no exceptions. It encompasses all of us. Now, I'll be honest, if I'd have been Paul, I might have been hesitant to write it that way because if you look at the makeup of the Corinthian congregation, you would have said, well, I don't know if we get much money out of them anyway. If you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he's, he's very uh, honest in how he describes the congregation, and he's writing a letter to them. But if you look at verse 26 of chapter 1, he says, you know, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. <laughs> he's basically saying, well, you know y'all aren't very uh, powerful, and you don't have high social standing. Clearly, you don't have a lot of money. And he's basically saying, I'm aware of that about you, but he goes on to say here at the end of his letter, but each one of you is to set aside some money to give. In fact, there were a number of slaves in the Corinthian church, if you study the history of it. And yet he says, all of you need to set aside some, each one of you without exception. Just as you come here to worship and to pray and to sing and to hear from the reading of God's word, you do this as well. Now, To move on to to, to verse 3, regarding the actual portion of their offering that was going to go to the church at Jerusalem, which needed the money, Paul is real careful to be sure that they know to handle the money ethically, and he wants to handle it ethically as well. If you look at verse 3, he says, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Now, what's going on here? You know, if a giver or a prospective giver, you know, is going to give something, they're not going to feel good about giving if they really don't have the confidence in the people involved, with the leaders involved, with the church involved. And notice that Paul says, you know, I'm going to get with the men whom you have approved of. In other words, you, church at Corinth, have deemed these people trustworthy. And they are the ones who are going to deliver every penny to the church at Jerusalem. Paul wanted to be ethical about all this. He didn't want them to think that it had at all to do with him. And so he basically says, you know, I'll help you with this and I'll exhort you, I'll encourage you to give to this church of brothers and sisters in Christ who need the money. But you're going to take the money, you're going to collect it, you're going to count it, and you're going to deliver it to the church, not me. Paul wanted to be a trustworthy steward. And and we want to be good stewards here at Brookwood as well. You know, we want to be above reproach. That's why we have an outstanding finance committee, missions committee. We have rules set up as to how we, we, we do any expenses whatsoever. We have at least two sets of eyes, if not three, to look at everything that anybody on the staff charges. You know, anything that we buy, anything that we you know, have to charge something to, it, it gets looked at by, by these other people. And we want it that way. We want to be above reproach here. We want to be trusted. We want to handle it ethically. And yes, we want to also, all of us, Give joyfully. You're familiar with the passage in 2 Corinthians 9. This was a later letter that he wrote. 
2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 9, each man should give what he has decided to give through his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, fill in the blank giver, God loves a, oh my gosh, God loves a cheerful, oh there, okay, all together now, God loves a, good night everybody, that's very good, thank you. But I like it. It says God loves a cheerful giver. But then, then he says this. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I love that phrase. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. That's what we're doing as we give. And we're helping people who are poor economically, people who are poor spiritually. Now, I don't know if you know. And when people ask me, well, describe your church. And I love to say it's missions I don't even like to say, oh, it's missions-oriented or missions-minded. I like to say it's missions-crazed, which you are. And uh, I just think that's great. We're always sending folks out. In fact, we're going to have a commissioning prayer in just a few minutes for the Appalachian Trail uh, mission team that's going out this week. Um, The average Baptist church for decades, in fact, I was asked one time to uh, help this guy who was going to be an expert witness in, in in a... in a court proceeding, a guy named Randall Balmer who teaches at Dartmouth College, really bright guy, but he called me and said, Jim, I'm not a Baptist. What is the average uh, that Baptists give to their offering? How much of their budget goes to missions? And I've known this, I don't know how long, 11%. I said, say that, that's what it is. I arrived here at Brookwood, well, we arrived back here in 1995, I guess, but still. Do you know what we give on average, by the way? Just about 25%. Y'all, that's really good. I mean, that's way above the norm, and that just speaks to our missions-mindedness. I just find that to be very, very cool, and that speaks to our commitment. Uh, we're, we're just under 25. I know that you all are crazed enough and just, you know, we got to get that up. we got to get that up, and we will. But uh, I'm just always very proud of that, hopefully in a good way, and I hope that we will just always keep that going. 25 cents on every dollar goes to the mission field and to people who, again, are poverty-stricken, weather economically or spiritually, or yes, both. And when I talk about the poor, though, I want to say even the poor can do this giving successfully, comprehensively, with everybody doing it, and in a way that makes an incredible difference. Recently, I learned about these churches in northeastern India in this area called Mizoram, and they have this beautiful phrase to express the way that they give to God every week. It's Tam. And that means one handful of rice at a time. Has anybody heard of this group? Fascinating group. And families in this church set aside a portion of rice, a handful of rice at each meal. And when they collect enough, they take it to the church and they they give it all to the church. And then the church collects it all and then sells it and gains income so that, that they can support missionaries. Well, they can support their local church and missionaries. Now, this goes back to, I think it was around 1910 is when it started. And think about that. This is in a culture, this is in a country that's, you know, if you're a Christian, you're in the minority. It's mainly Hindu, Muslim, Sikh. And yet there's this Christian group. And in 1914, we have this in historical documents. They raised that year $1.50 in U.S. money, okay? More recently, do you know how much, and these are by and large poor people who, who just set aside a handful of rice, Recently, they collected $1.5 million in a year to support 1,800 missionaries. That's pretty impressive. In addition to, to that ministry, they've kind of expanded. I guess you could say they've diversified, and some of them now uh, uh, gather firewood, and they gain money that way. 
Uh, some of them have brought vegetables in. And so it's kind of growing and, and expanding. But this is primarily poor people who are making an incredible difference for God's church. And I, just, I wanted to show you all a video about these people. It's about three minutes long, but it's just, I get very inspired as I learn more and more about this ministry. There are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen that nobody sees. But God knows. God bless. Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Thang, or a handful of rice. Bufai Thang is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The Handful of Rice Ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bufaitam is meant for supporting those Bible women. This concept of Bufaitam became so popular throughout Mizoram over the years that giving was not limited to some individuals. The whole of Mizoram, rich or poor, young or old, everybody contributed to it. I've been practicing Bufai Tam for the past 70 to 80 years. The church always encouraged us to do it. I give because I believe it is a way of showing my gratitude to the Lord. Whenever I do this, I believe that I cook a meal for the Lord as well. As my blessings increase, I started giving more than what I used to. So instead of a handful, I am giving one full cup of rice. It is something which my mother has taught all of us right from when we were very young. And I feel like Bufai Tam is a piece of Christian service that anyone can do it. So inspired by that. Uh, and just think about all these people, if all of God's people would just give what they could, it's incredible what we could do. I researched these folks a little bit more, and there's a common saying they have. 
Uh, this one church member said, It is not our richness or our poverty that make us serve the Lord, but our willingness. So we, the Mizo people, always say to one another, As long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. Think about that. And, and some of them are just trying to find something to eat every day. As long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. <laughs> Do you think you and I can give just a little back to help them in this joint venture of serving God, bringing his kingdom to all parts of the globe? What an amazing philosophy they have. And, and, and I hope that the spirit here will increase as far as what we give. We've been blessed here. Uh, giving is up significantly from last year here, and I could give you figures, but I don't want to, you know, parade that around. But, but we're doing well with all that. But again, are all of us giving? Are you giving? And are you giving in a way, maybe that it costs you a little something. <laughs> you feel it just a little bit as you give. Are you doing that? I think it needs to cost you something, and it reminds me of a wonderful story that Alan Redpath shared many years ago when he overheard two women who were speaking about their kids, and one, one of the women was complaining about how much her kids were costing her. And this other woman listened for a long time, and they didn't really know each other very well, but this other woman listened, and then she said this, you know, years ago I had a boy, and, and the moment he was born, yeah, he started to cost us as well, diapers and milk, other baby needs. He said they went to elementary school, and we had to pay for school supplies and uniforms for soccer teams. Then he went to college, and, and we thought he was you know, going to put us in the poorhouse. Then he started dating, and we knew he was going to put us in the poorhouse. He said he just started to cost us more all the time. Then when he was a senior in college, he died unexpectedly and tragically. And his mother looked at this other mother and said, He doesn't cost us anything now, and you don't know how badly my husband and I wish he was still here to cost us something. So I praise God that Brookwood is costing you and me something because our giving shows us that you and I are alive and that that church is alive and on the move. If it's not costing us something, we're moving toward death ourselves. So I hope and pray that we will act upon this call to give in a way that costs in praise of the one whose life it costs for you and for me. And with that, I want us to close our eyes and uh, just have a moment of meditation, and, and I want you to think about how God is moving in your life, God is moving in this church and, and other churches. And I want you to consider the stewardship in your life, whether it is money, whether it is time, whether it is relationships, whether it is the time that you spend alone each day with God, whether it is you being a student of the Word of God, and I want you to consider, am I giving back all that I can? As I breathe in God's grace, am I breathing out my praise and my giving? So I want you to just take a moment and meditate upon that and have a silent conversation with God about what is something more you can give back? What is something more you can give back? Meditate upon that and, and talk with God about that for a moment. Lord, in some ways we want to say that what we give back is so worthless compared against the backdrop of the salvation you bring to us. And yet, and yet you remind us even this day in your word that it does make a difference. 
So we ask that you would move us all the more to give in a way that is not only pleasing to you and that really does genuinely glorify you with the ways that we can do so, but help us to give in ways that it will make a difference for people across this planet. Forgive us when we become selfish, when we live in a, in, in a way of denial, really not acknowledging the fact that, yes, we could give more of ourselves, our time, our funding, whatever it might be. We ask your forgiveness when we don't make you our ultimate priority, when we don't follow our first love. Oh, God, motivate us to do just that today. In just a moment, uh, if you feel led, you can come forward. If you feel led to do so as we sing the song, Take My Life and Let It Be, you're invited to come forward. And if you feel led to join this church or pass through the waters of baptism, simply to pray with someone, to move your church membership, whatever it might be, I'll be at the front to greet you. But more than anything, as we sing this song about being a servant, being a good steward, take my life and let it be, I pray that where you stand and where you sing, that that you will really take these words to heart as you have breathed in his grace. May you sing breathing out praise for him and committing yourself all the more to be the servant, the steward he has called you to be. Lord, be with us at this time of commitment. May our commitments and our willingness to, to serve you as we should glorify you during this moment. We pray these things in your name.